It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com and on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, August the 15th, 2021, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back in beautiful Austin, Texas, and I hope that you're enjoying your summer as it winds down and staying safe and cool wherever you are. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us this evening as usual to make the show run smoothly. And we have another great program in store for you this evening. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined from right here in Austin, Texas, once again by musician, author, yoga yoga meditation teacher, and interfaith minister, Reverend Good John Bergman. And this time... Good John is here with us to discuss his latest book, Monk of All Faiths. And then later in the program, musician Cass Clayton joins us again from Colorado to talk about what she's been up to, and we'll be playing some of her original music. And we'll also hear from the twins, Minerva and Ruben, in the Bay of Vendettas to take us on another trip to a Mexico destination. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guests. My email address is drmara, D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmaracarpel.com, C-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening's program again after the show, along with any uh, website links or important information that we give on the program during the program uh, by going to my website later this evening. And all of that will be posted later this evening at drmaracarpel.com. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And it will also be on Apple Podcasts at that time. And for information about upcoming shows and upcoming events, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Are you wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in per- person or virtually, anything can be found to fill your day with others in your age group. So be more active and start filling your days. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. We're going to take a brief break. Don't go anywhere. We're it's going to be very brief, and we'll be right back with our guest, Reverend Good John Berkman. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell 
We'll be back after words from our sponsors. Worry about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone from right here in Austin, Texas, once again, we have Minister Reverend Dijon Bergman. He's the author of over 25 books, a weekly contributor to Medium, and the leader of Harmony Interfaith Initiative. And he is joining us this time to talk about his latest book, Monk of All Faiths. Welcome, Good John. Well, it's good to be with you, Mara, and thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's so good to have you back. Um, I think the last time you were on was like sort of at the beginning of this whole pandemic. So, how are you doing? Yep. I'm I'm doing pretty pretty good. We've all been vaccinated in the family and uh, are kind of navigating the new normal as everybody else is is doing. And kids are going back to school, and my son's going to UT, and um, it, it's it's all working out somehow. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that, um, and I'm glad to have you back. I have your your book here, that, uh, you know, and I really enjoyed it. Um, maybe before we jump into talking about the book, um, you can yeah. give a little bit of your background to listeners who haven't heard you here before or anywhere before. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I was born and raised in Iceland. Uh, in <clears throat> the late 90s, I got introduced to yoga, and uh, I dove into that head first and um, ended up running my own yoga studio and having yoga teacher trainings and, and uh, building a relationship with a, a mentor, uh, Yogi Shanti Desai, uh, who lives here in, in, in the States and in, in New Jersey. And uh, then in 2009, uh, my wife found out that she had been a U.S. citizen from birth without ever knowing that. And so we wow. decided to... Yeah, that, that's a, another book, really, uh, because it's such a, an interesting story. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so we decided to take a chance and, and uh, move from Iceland to uh, Texas, where uh, her grandmother was, uh, her, her mother was born. Uh, and so we reconnected with family there that uh, nobody had spoken to from Iceland in about 50 years. And we've uh, created a pretty good relationship with them here. Uh, and then we kind of just stuck around, and we've been here now for 11 years. In 2017, mm-hmm. I decided to 
uh, or 2016, that is, I decided to take my love of uh, spirituality and, and kind of learn more and, and, and be exposed to more of the teachings of the world's religions. And uh, went to All Faiths Seminary in New York, uh, which was founded by Rabbi Joseph Gelberman uh, in mm-hmm. the 80s. And I was ordained... Uh, to be an interfaith minister in 2017 and have since been working on a variety of projects. Uh, I, I'm happy to say that yesterday I was awarded with a, a, an award from the school uh, called the Radiant Light Award for my work so far uh, Great. in the interfaith arena. So, yes, yeah, so I've been, I've been kind of, you know, trying a variety of different things uh, to uh, – paths that I've gone on. One is trying to help people to better get along <laughs> uh, despite mm-hmm. of their different beliefs. And uh, I've been running courses on that with Charter for Compassion for the last four years now. And mm-hmm. the other one is, is kind of exploring uh, the similarities between religions uh, without trying to minimize anybody's beliefs or anything, just seeing where the overlaps are. And that's been a very interesting process. And and Monk of All Faiths is uh, kind of part of uh, uh, that exploration. So, you know, I know that the, in this book, the monk is fictional, but is it somewhat semi-autobiographical? Well, I've been asked that. So the answer is no, I'm not the monk. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, yeah. So what I wanted to do, so there so are two things I wanted to do with this book. Um one was to kind of take all these uh, ideas about interfaith, interspirituality, perennialism, uh, and, uh, and other ideas from uh, people at my seminary and, and, and thinkers such as Houston Smith and Aldous Huxley and Ken Wilber and Wayne Teasdale and others, and, and kind of channel those ideas into a, a, a single book. And the other thing I wanted to do was to model it after uh, Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. And I understand that's a you know, beloved book and really hard to emulate. Uh, mm-hmm. but, and, and, you know, as Mark Twain said, if, if this uh, letter would have been shorter if I'd had more time. So writing something short and succinct, it took me about a year and a half to write a very short book because I wanted uh-huh. to have – uh, you know, the essence of the ideas uh, without, and hopefully I managed to do this, but I wanted, without falling into cliches, right? Mm-hmm. Without, mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I tried to do with the book was to marry those two ideas. And of course, my own ideas and philosophy come in there a little bit, but it's hopefully funneling more ideas than just my own. Uh, in, in, in the fictional character. That's why I chose a fictional character. Otherwise, I just would have written a nonfiction book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you? What were some of the main lessons that the monk um, tries to teach in this book? Well, I, what I do is I try to approach it on a topical level. So uh, there are. Uh, chapters on everything from religion and science to uh, holiness, peace, meditation, prayer, religion, war, uh, 
spirit, God, and, and, and other ideas. Uh, and I have people in the audience ask questions of the monk, and then he just answers. And of course, if this would be an actual, you know, event, uh, there would be more of a dialogue. But I decided to stick to the um, model that Khalil Gibran offered in his book, and just there was one question, one answer. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the main main two ideas that the monk tries to get across in this book are, n- number one, there are more similarities than people notice. And they are based around these two concepts of oneness and goodness, kind of experiential paths found in most of the world's religions. And this was something I noticed when I was studying at All Faiths, uh, is that there is more overlap when you look at the experience of faith than the teachings or dogma of faith, right? So if you compare two books, you see less difference than if you compare two people praying, right? And their experience Mm -hmm. of praying or their experience of meditating or their experiencing of performing service or or showing compassion and love. Uh, And so when people do those things, there's more overlap. So that was one thing. Uh, And the other thing was to say that, that, his approach is not for everybody, and that what he uh, talks about in the book is that the goal of interfaith relations is creating more harmony, uh, whereas the, his kind of interspiritual journey is to find the similarities between the religions and then uh, live them out in those settings. And, and I have him having traveled around the world for 40 years, assimilating with different uh, people of different faiths and different settings, and you know he connects with them through their faith, not trying to change them in any way. Uh, and in my own experience of, of uh, being uh, at interfaith and dialogue events between people of all different faiths, is that that's a key element. Is is you know you don't go in trying to change anybody. You, you go in and you are exposed to different ideas and that's and, and exposed to people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is a real shame that we haven't been able to do that much during COVID. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, he talked a lot about perennial perennialism. Can you, can you explain what that is? Cause that's like the first thing discussed in the yes, book. Absolutely. So it's an idea uh, that Aldous Huxley talks about in his book, Perennial Philosophy. And I try to simplify it in, a little bit in the book because I try to simplify everything because <laughs> it's a short book. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, so perennialism is this idea that you have perennial flowers, you have perennial herbs, you have per- things that, that sprout you know, when the conditions are right, uh, no matter what, over and over and over again. And so Aldous Huxley talks about that this same concept is also applicable to something like the world's religions. So that there are perennial truths or ideas that, that pop up just about everywhere if you go looking for them. And it's nothing so simple as to say, you know, all, all the world's religions teach love. Or, and it's not saying that all the world's religions are the same. What it is saying is that if you look for those ideas in uh, the world's religions, and especially in lived religion, I think there's a um, 
this is something I've learned over the past few years, to be very important. There's a difference between uh, taught religion and lived religion. But if you go looking for those similarities or, or those perennial ideas, you'll find them everywhere. And that's what perennialism is about, is what are the ideas that have popped up, not just in one place, but everywhere, uh, and see mm-hmm. where those uh, you know, ideas come together and how they come together. Uh, and the interesting thing is that There are more similarities between what would be called the mystical paths of religions. For example, in Islam, there's Sufism. In Hinduism, there's yoga. In Christianity, it's called mysticism. Uh, In Judaism, it's called Kabbalah. And so in different ways, people, once they try to delve deeper into the mystery of the universe and, and try to experience it firsthand, and create, uh, you know, different approaches to that exploration, that's where you start to see a lot more similarities than if you just look at uh, rules of living or cultural traditions or, mm-hmm. you know, we always eat this on this day. That's not, that's not where you're going to find the similarities. But you'll find them in... Again, ways of meditating, ways of praying, ways of experiencing the outcome of that, ways of serving, ways of interacting with other people, with the world, uh, concepts of oneness, concepts of of goodness. You know, those are the things that 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 seem to come up uh, over and over again in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, I you know, right now we're living obviously in a very divisive. Time. Um, but it seemed like one of the, or well, two of the important um, similarities that the monk talks about, and maybe you can talk about those, the wisdom of the monk on the subjects of love and peace. Yeah. The monk talks about love as an act, not just as a, as a, as a feeling, as a, to an act of uh, you know, it's doing for others or, 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 you know, being in a in a community and relationship with others. And he also talks about the importance of, and he really just quotes Lao Tse with, uh, with you know, if, if you want to find peace and uh, have peace in the world, it begins with peace in the heart. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think in a world that's so extroverted and we're always focused outwardly, we forget to cultivate those elements within. Uh, And uh, what has really broken my heart over the past few years is the elevation of rage as a, Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, yes, it's a powerful emotion. Yes, it's a motivator. Yes, it pushes people in certain directions, but it's also very destructive in the long run. Uh, And not just, for the people that the rage is pointed towards, but also those who carry that rage within them. So I think it's very important to cultivate um, love and peace if you want, if that's what the kind of society that you want. Uh, you have to start, uh, you know, at home and in yourself. And um, you know, quite frankly, Mara, I've been doing these 
you know, our shared humanity programs through Charter for Compassion. And some people don't want to mm-hmm. hear this right now. <laughs> they, they are adamant that, you know, we need to be in a state of ra- constant state of rage. Uh, and I understand why, you know, in, in certain cases, but I also see how the long-term destructiveness is, is uh, taking hold both in people just personally and, and uh, in society. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have an answer <laughs> except, you know, start with yourself, take that energy out into the world in a different way, uh, in a more compassionate, loving way. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, to spend a lot of time here at home with my children for the past 10 years. Uh, and a lot of people misunderstand compassion as an act of, you know, as a lack of discipline or, or, or uh, letting people do what they want or just listening to feelings all the time. And I think there is a difference there. I think there is a balance between being firm in your beliefs, being firm in your, and, and, and then being compassionate and being loving. I, I don't think those are opposed at all. And so if people want to go out and, and fight for something like social justice or, 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 or concepts <laughs> like that, uh, you know, there's a way to do that that has, is, is less destructive and, uh, and hopefully more conducive to long-term uh, the long-term well-being of both the people and society. Um, right. But as I say, uh, you know, whenever I speak of that, and, and even in circles where people say they want that, um, there's quite a bit of pushback these days because people mm-hmm. feel justified in their anger, justified in their rage. Uh, and it's not until they feel that it's no longer serving them that they will want to change that. Uh, and, and so hopefully, you know, that's what I say to people who, are, who come to the courses I give. You know, maybe people are not ready to hear it now, but when they are, you will have some ideas to help them, uh, you know, mend bridges or build bridges if they've been completely blown away. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a good point, and I think, um, you know, anger is a, is a normal human emotion, Right, and we, we don't want to run away from it. But um, and you talk about this in the book about transmuting it. That if we if we acknowledge that we're angry, then it doesn't it doesn't stay um, as destructive within us. That we can say, yeah, we're angry, and now what? <coughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think that's the, a beautiful concept, also transmutation of energy um, mm-hmm. and taking destructive emotions and, and transmuting them into something else. And I think the Dalai Lama has been a, a, a great example uh, of someone who has, you know, gone through great difficulties and his people have gone through great difficulties and yet he mm-hmm. has uh, stayed compassionate and, and brought very good energy with him into the world, even as he, you know, puts forth a very strong position on certain that. Now, it, it hasn't won the war, but it has won people over, and you could argue that his influence is, is greater in the world uh, as a refugee that preaches compassion than uh, it would have been as a head of state. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Nobody doesn't know the Dalai Lama. <laughs> um, no, no, exactly, yeah. And and it's interesting, you know, um, when when you talk about influencers, you know, the, the, the influencers we talk about overall, we talk about Dr. Martin Luther King and we talk about mm-hmm. Gandhi and these people all felt anger uh, and and rage, but they, uh, you know, and Mother Teresa, you know, but and then another one of my favorites, Betty Williams. If you don't know her, look her up. She was uh, very powerful in the Northern Ireland peace process. Oh. Uh, you know, when she stood up and, and with other women and said, "Enough is enough here." Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But all of these people found a way. Uh, to transmute that into um, love, compassion, nonviolence, but with action. And like Betty Williams said in a, in a great interview that I heard her uh, do uh, a few years back, she said, "There's nothing more difficult than nonviolence. You know, having something, having somebody stand right up against you in your face, screaming at you." and not respond mm-hmm. in the same way, not instinctually respond in the same way, it's tremendously difficult. And, and you know, working on the transmutation of these natural and, and, and instructive emotions, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that's maybe why it's not popular, but, but it is something we, when we see that in action, I think the instinctual uh, response of most people is to admire that uh, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. even think that they, you know, I wish I would, could, could be able to do that. Um, and, and, you know, right. the monk just says, yeah, it, that, takes, <laughs> that takes practice. Uh, and it starts right. at home. It starts it's... with your relationship with your, you know, family and, and friends and and the people on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, yeah. It starts, <laughs> it starts there, not at the top, uh, uh, you know, in, in the most difficult situation. It starts in very mundane uh, circumstances. Uh, and it takes work and it takes practice. Nobody's perfect at it, it but if we work at it, it's, it's, it gets easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's powerful. It's very powerful. Mm-hmm. As I say, it, 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 I, th- I think this bears repeating. I mean, when we see somebody transmute rage and anger into something beautiful and into something powerful, you know, it, it, we we look at that in awe. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and many people, I you know, I use Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and and uh, Mother Teresa and Betty Williams in some of my courses, and people say, well, you know, these are heroes of history. You know, how can we emulate them? And my response is always, well, before they became anybody, they were nobody, right? They were just exactly. regular people, right? And and so exactly. if they can do that, we can do that. Uh, but, you know, we, we have to look at how much energy they spent on um, – getting to that point of wanting to transmute that, of wanting 
to choose nonviolence over violence, of wanting to choose compassion over rage. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the most beautiful concepts, which is almost forgotten in a, in a world today where everybody's so judgmental, and if you're not judgmental enough, then you're, you know, you're not on our side and so on. But Gandhi always used to say, you know, never hate the doer, resist the action. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, always allow room for redemption. And I think as a society, Mm -hmm. we're seeing people do less and less of that. And I think that's, that's very bad. You know, if, if, if we, if we lived as families, um, where people made mistakes and we never allowed for redemption and we never allowed anybody to be wrong. Uh, no family w- could survive that ever, period. That's true. That's <laughs> right? Sure. And so what's true of families is true of, so- of societies. Uh, mm-hmm. If we continue down this road, we, you know, I don't see that societies can sustain this approach for a very long time. So, good job. Um, are you yes. still teaching those courses? Uh, once a year, yes. So, I'm doing a course uh, next January uh, called Our Shared Humanity with uh, Charter for Compassion. Um, okay. And then, you know, on demand when I'm asked to come. You know, I, I work with uh, the Episcopalian Church up in northern Michigan, Uh for the past couple of years, and they've been creating a program reaching out to the indigenous people there. I have to say one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I started off with trying to find harmony between people of different faiths. And through my interfaith work over the past few years, I find that uh, that is way easier than finding common ground for people of different political ideas. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> it, it really, I would imagine. It, yeah, and and you know, I was asked to do a course with more focus on just general coming together uh, and finding common ground and, and focusing on our shared humanity. And I've done that, and it works on individual basis. Uh, but you know, my sense is that things are going to get worse before they get better. Uh, but also that those of us who wanted to get better should be prepared to have some ideas and, and ways they're ready to, to make it better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if people are interested in finding out about your workshops or asking you to, to give a workshop or find yes. out about all your multiple books and your blogs, um, your music. I do have. Um, yeah. What's the best way to do that? So I have a website. Uh, it's my name, uh, which is hard to for people to find and remember. So hopefully, uh, you know, um, we can post that somewhere online. But it's goodjohnberton.com. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it's G-U-D-J-O-N-B-E-R-G-M-A-N-N.com. Now, Okay. The book we've been talking about, Monk of All Faiths, is available for free, but only today on Amazon for the Kindle. Uh, so if people want to read it for free, then they can just type in Monk of All Faiths on Amazon, 
and they should be able to buy it for free uh, till midnight uh, today, August 15th. Uh, if they want to okay. support my work, then there's also a hardcover, very nice book. Uh, there was one guy who uh, wrote on my Facebook page that he's been using it to read before and after meditation. I was very gratified to hear that, that somebody mm-hmm. found it valuable enough to read it that way. Yeah, uh, it's a nice it's a nice little book, and um, I, I I like having the hardcover book. So yeah, that's my too. preference. It, 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 it kind of, kind of yeah it it gives it you know substance and uh and it and it kind of you know i, I used to carry around with me the little uh, Khalil Gibran book the prophet when i was younger uh, and mm-hmm. read it from time to time and it's just very simple and simple ideas and but it kind of sunk in and and hopefully uh, these ideas and and monk of all faiths uh will do that for somebody else uh, in the same way that uh, the prophet did that for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Good John, for coming back on the program and talking about this great little book. And um, I am going to post your website on my post about, about the show on my website later tonight so that if people come to it later, they can find it easily and just click on it. Um, Thank you, Mara, and thank you for inviting me. All right. It's always a joy to talk to you. Same here. Same here, and and you'll be back, I'm sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Whenever you invite me, I'll be back. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, great. You have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we're back. This is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. <clears throat> and I just, I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes continuing the conversation that I've been having with you about reconnecting to our passion and joy after this very long time of feeling isolated and a lot of people kind of feel stuck. And it kind of goes along with what Good John was just talking about, and that is one of the ways of jump-starting, I think, our passion when we're just not feeling it is to focus on um, helping other people, focus on uh, compassion and kindness. And um, we may not know what our path is right now. It may have changed because of all of the changes going on because of the pandemic and the economic crisis and everything else. But, 
we can engage in something. Uh, we need it right now. We need everybody's compassion. We need everybody's kindness uh, to brighten up this this very divisive time. And so if we can just focus on compassion and kindness and doing something to help other people, it can be a way of jump-starting our own sense of connection to our passion. And again, you know, I've mentioned this before, our passion we might discover is not necessarily what we thought it was before. It may be even more important. We may discover something more important in helping other people and making that our focus. And, um, you know, in the research for a long time, long time ago has shown for depression, which I think a lot of people are kind of in that mild depressive state, um, kind of just hanging out, waiting for things to open up. The, the best cure for depression is to help somebody else. Because when people become depressed, they become very self-focused. And, oh, life is terrible for me. And, you know, what am I going to do, et cetera. And if we can just focus on other people and being there for them, doing something compassionate, even wearing a mask, as I've mentioned before, is an act of compassion because we're helping to stop the spread of of a virus, saying to help people who are in an economic crisis, if you have the means of helping somebody out financially or volunteering um, to at the food bank, there are so many things that we can do to help other people, whether it's people that we know that are close to us or people that we don't even know, that we can go out into the world and be there for them and focus on our compassion and love for our fellow humankind, that will reconnect us to our feeling of passion and kind of jumpstart if we feel like we're stuck. And we need it. We need you. Even if you're already feeling your passion, we need, we need everybody to chip in and be compassionate toward other people. All right. So on that note, we're going to take a little trip to Mexico and talk with um, Minerva and Ruben, who are in Bay of Banderas, and they're going to take us to another Mexico destination and we'll start a little with art music about Mexico. And then after that, we're going to hear from musician Cass Clayton and listen to some of her music as well. So here we go. Minerva and Ruben with a little music by Art to Start. Watch me send it, he lies in his hammock, teaching 
preacher's stories how to live And he knows how to live
on the phone. All right. And we're back. And we were just listening to the music of Kathleen, who's joining us on the phone right now. Welcome, Kath. Thank you so much. It's good to be back, Mara. It's good to have you back. How have you been? Oh, man. I mean, it's getting busy again, which is good. We are almost mm-hmm. done with another album, so we've been we've been busy. We used the the very very quiet year that shall not be mentioned to do creative stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great. So, were you recording a lot or writing a lot? Yeah, both. Um, we were writing a lot, and then um, we had a core kind of inner circle team of the same, you know, five of us who were you know, going into the recording studio toward the end of 2020. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Great, great. And and you said it's getting busy. Are you starting to play, perform again? Yeah, we've been performing, um, you know, we we, re, we took another look at what we were doing, and, and we're doing it differently this time um, because – as as things as the band was you know producing more music and and doing the, you know kind of living out the vision that we had seen for ourselves we in 2019 still were you know really running ourselves ragged just saying yes to almost every show and so now we're not doing that we're really being a little more selective maybe mm-hmm. a lot more selective so we're not out every night but the shows that we're playing in the, the festivals are the ones that are really exciting to us. So I'm grateful to be uh-huh. able to be at that phase. It's really nice. Great. Great. So, um, so do you have, do you have any new albums that came out from due to the recording that you were doing during the pandemic? So we didn't do a full album release yet. The album is almost finished. We've got a few more songs to get in the studio, but um mm-hmm. We've released two singles, which, you know, a lot of, you know, because of the way the music industry is now with streaming, um, singles are really more important in certain ways than an album. I think almost the album releases for our fans who really, you know, music lovers who really want the full album. But for everybody Uh else, they're, you know, they're more about the, it's about the single release. So we've released, the song that you just played is a, a song that we just released recently called Make Believing and... We released another song um, right after that, uh, within a couple months after that, called, um, called uh, what is my song called? <laughs> it's called City Noise. It was actually about missing city noise and, you know, really yearning for the busyness of the city. Can you t- well, we're going to play that one, too. Um, maybe you can oh, tell cool. us first about, yeah. Can you tell us first about Make Believing? Um Tell us about sure. that song. Yeah, so make-believing, um, you know, really came out of this this noticing of, you know, I had so much time like everybody and um, I had so much time to, like, re-envision my life and, um, you know, realized that some of the stuff I was saying yes to was just, you know, like I said, running me ragged, making me tired. And, you know, if we're really choosing the life we live, which we are, all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. We're choosing our response to things, but we're also just literally choosing the reality we create by planting whatever that seed is that we plant that day, you know. And if we're planting the same 
types of seeds through our thoughts, words, and actions all the time, and our life will roll out in that direction. And, you know, I think, you know, people are hip to this now. They know they're creating their lives, but, but we still get unwanted results because of the sub- subconscious or unconscious mind, you know. So it was really mm-hmm. that, that moment in time where I was like, okay, what's the stuff that's still appearing that is just me being a people pleaser, you know, my old stuff, you know, does that really belong here anymore? And, you know, make-believing with the lyrics in that song, you know, like Jenny, she married a drinker just like her mother before. No one told her to imagine walk, watching him walk out the door. And it really is important what we imagine because – it's so powerful what we're creating. The other thing that kind of came out of having all this time and watching the news is, you know, I'm not 20 years old. So when I was a kid, I remember on the news, the newscasters were just like straight business. They delivered the story with no emotion. Mm-hmm. There was none. You couldn't sense any agenda because that was not their job. Their job was to present a story without an agenda. And I saw like if you, I accidentally watched the news with the sound turned off and saw these really sad faces and the looks of horror. And I was like, oh, that's emotional manipulation. And it really bothered me because um, that's somebody else telling you what you should be make-believing in your life, what, what story you should carry forth in your life. And I believe that, um, you know, we are so powerful, but we have to know that. And we have to be responsible mm-hmm. for what we choose. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I like that. So Thank now you. we're going to play the other song. We're going to play City Noise. And you said that was that had to do with missing the noise of the city during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. During the pandemic, it's funny. We There was one club that we did a few shows at, and it, it's called Dazzle. It's one of the top jazz clubs in the entire world. Um, But it happens to be here in Denver and they've been around for a long time and they were doing shows to no audience. Um, So they would, they would live stream it, but really high quality live streams. So I was actually out watching Mm -hmm. a friend's band that night because I was kind of volunteering at at Dazzle a lot. And uh, this friend's band just slayed it to no audience, which is an odd feeling and we all went outside afterwards and there was, you know, this is a busy part of Denver. It's downtown Denver and not a soul in sight. You know, there were no cars driving. It was just quiet and eerie and city noise is about, you know, just week after week after week of that, you know, when really for musicians, when we have a night off, we're going to other people's shows. That's how we learn and um, grow. So, being going from, you know, I think it was hard for everyone. Just, but it just depends on how much social you need. And I, um, I was really it, like such a heavy, heavy feeling, a deep yearning for that noise of people being around mm-hmm. and laughing after a show and just the joy of that. Mhm. Okay. So hang on the line. We're going to play that song and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, Mark. All right, city noise.
people born and die, I feel another class. No use in trying to I can really feel that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's, it was it's yeah. a moody tune. Yes, and it brings back a lot of memories. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Oh my god, I think we're all ready to be, you know, just behaving the way we behaved, but I think some things will not change, you know. Right. Some yeah. things will be yeah. a new normal. But um I'm it was doing that song, you know, Taylor Scott is the producer of all our albums and co-writer, and, and uh, we really had a lot of fun this time because we were taking different risks and we had a lot more time, and uh, mm-hmm. so it was it was fun. We did we actually have two bass guitars on that, which is not very common. That we have an upright bass and an electric bass to kind of like mm. really make that deep moody groove that that song has. Yeah, yeah. So. So um, if people are interested, if listeners are interested in downloading your music, um, finding out where you're playing, um, getting your your previous recordings, how can they do that? Well, thank you for asking. Um, well, we're on all platforms. So, you know, everything from Spotify to iTunes and Apple, every, um, anywhere anybody gets music, they can download or, or stream our music. And... Uh, then our shows are on our website as well as uh, a place where people can buy CDs if they prefer old school, which is my, my preference is old school because of the sound quality. I always buy people's CDs. It's really not, we don't care how people listen to it. But, um, it's, uh, so castclayton.com is where all the shows are listed. Okay. So, yeah, we've and, got good stuff and, in and the future. On, on um, the the um, platforms for music like Spotify or Apple, what what should they look up to find you? Just your name? Yeah, it's under, it's Cass Clayton. It's C-A-S-S Clayton, Cass Clayton. And okay. they'll find all of okay. our past albums. And yeah, that, that last album that we, uh, that came out in 2019, 
Uh, we had done it. We'd released an album in 2018, another in 2019, and we had no intention of going back into the studio with a whole new album. But, you know, we had time and we were inspired. So in a way, it was fortunate mm-hmm. that we had all that space. But, um, yeah, the 2019 album was number one in the country for top R&B albums for 11 weeks in 1920. Wow, so we were pretty grateful that people were listening to music on on the radio and and things were going the right direction and I think that momentum not just for us but for a lot of musicians and artists and humans is going the right direction again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well well best of luck to you and I look forward to hearing the rest of your music when it comes out Thank you. It's always great talking with you. Great speaking with you. And you take care. Stay safe. Have fun. Okay. Thanks, Mara. Thank and, you as well. Uh, all right. Have a good evening. Appreciate it. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Be- before Art knocks us off the air, let me let everybody know what's coming up next. Um, next Sunday, August 22nd, we'll be back live in Austin, Texas, and we'll be joined by therapists. Asperger's and internet internet addiction specialist and author Nathan Driscoll to talk about autism and his book, So You Have Autism, Now What? And more. We will have more. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and get the uh, website information and, and all those links that we talked about on the program, all of that will be posted later tonight on my website, drmaracarpel.com. And you can also hear this program again in five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years, or go to Apple Podcasts, and you'll find it there. Be sure to follow me on Faith Coming Shows and Events, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. Special thanks to my guests, Reverend Good John Bergman, Cass Clayton, Minerva and Ruben, and of course, thank you to Art, and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night, an inspiring week, and remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Ever since I was a little girl, played in the house with my dog, Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 